everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 71 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters 2 on your It's Like Pure Concentrated Evil podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vos. Uh, we just wanted to take a minute to remind everybody that we do have a Patreon page, and so any amount that you can give, even just a dollar, will give you access to exclusive content, Matthew saying funny things and making funny noises, some outtakes, and uh, information on new shows that are coming up. We also put up things like our reactions to Avengers Infinity War, um, and a few hot takes on things as they come out. And of course, your support allows us to continue doing what we're doing. Um, we would not be able to do all of the shows that we're doing without that support. So uh, take a look and anything that you can give is absolutely helpful. That's at patreon.com slash eloquent gushing. Yeah, the, the support we get from our patrons is just wonderful. There was a time when Across the Arrowverse was Catherine and I huddled around a microphone. Now we have been able to get a couple of mics, so it sounds really nice. And it's a much more uh, relaxed recording where we're not, you know, sitting very, very close to each other, which is a little bit weird to talk. You and I sound really good having upgraded our equipment for these recordings. Absolutely. So there's an actual Absolutely. tangible thing from from the support that we get from people. Yes. But we are going to talk today about Ghostbusters 2. Uh, we watched Ghostbusters a year or so ago now, I think, uh, the original. We watched uh, the new Ghostbusters at the end of last year. Um, so we sort of skipped this one out. It's not kind of it's not got the classic status of that first film. So, Mandy, how come you did want to go back and watch this one? Honestly, it's because I had so much fun watching the other two Ghostbusters that we did watch. Uh, Ghostbusters, the original from 1984... I didn't think I was going to like it, and then I loved it. Hmm. And I actually think that that was the movie that inspired me to create my list of really terrible human beings that I actually like, okay. that we haven't talked about in a really long time. And then we did the the reboot with uh, Kate McKinnon and Melissa McCarthy, and that was an hour of us gushing about that movie. Yeah. And... You know, so I just, I really wanted to see what else they did because apparently I like Ghostbusters. Okay. I mean, I ain't afraid of no ghost. Because <laughs> I don't think um, we'd particularly told you not to watch this, but also I don't think there was a point when anyone went, oh, you have to watch this. This is, you know, an amazing sequel. Yeah, I think... I think when we did the first one, you hedged a lot when we talked about Ghostbusters 2. I think you weren't super excited about it, at least at that point. Um, and so we didn't really talk about it. But then when we started looking at year two, I just kind of got it in my head. I really wanted to watch Ghostbusters 2. Hmm. And I know we got some feedback from folks that Ghostbusters 2 is a favorite, at least among children. I think we will definitely be speaking to that point. <laughs> um, and it's it's a strange one because I, I can remember going to see this with my family and being still childish enough that walking up to the cinema, I remember there was some mud on the ground. I was like, oh, watch out for the slime. Oh, you know, in cute. that sort of kiddie way that you do. So right. I think I was just at the right age to appreciate it then. Um, mm -hmm. But I still think the the first one holds a bit more magic about it. Okay. But we'll come to that. 
Um, Ghostbusters 2, for everyone, is a 1989 supernatural comedy. It was directed by Ivan Reitman and written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd. The follow-up to the 1984 original, it reunites Ramis and Aykroyd with stars Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver and Ernie Hudson, alongside the supporting duo of Annie Potts and Rick Moranis. The film was a mixed success. On release, it took the most... This is a difficult one to say. On release, it took the most money on the opening weekend than any film had before it. Does that make sense? Yes. Best opening weekend. But that record was broken one week later by Batman. (laughs) So, congrats. Okay. (laughs) You know, all that means is that there were two really great movies released really close together. Yeah. A little bit like this summer. It's a little non-stop. Oh, yeah. The the film didn't do as well with critics. Um, there were a number of comments about uh, being a bit lackluster and not iterating or, or improving on the original. Um, and Bill Murray himself made a comment about how it was the special effects guys taking over. It, too much of the slime and not enough of us. I think that's a fair comment. Mm, I, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing. We'll come to it. Yeah. We'll calm down. We'll come to that. Um, <laughs> do you want to give me a brief synopsis? Sure. Um, Well, after finding a river of pink slime under the city, the Ghostbusters are back in business. Very fair. That's the best I got because it's very very different from the first one. Like plot-wise, it's different. It focuses on different things. Okay. (laughs) Oh, you disagree? Okay. Okay. Um, How were you able to watch this? Where is it available over there? Um, It is on Netflix here. Oh, great. It is on Netflix over here too. Holy crap, we actually have the same thing on Netflix for a change? <laughs> Not the first one. That never happens. Just this one. <laughs> oh, I don't remember if the first one was on Netflix still. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. okay. Um, the cast hasn't particularly changed. The setup hasn't changed. The type of film hasn't particularly changed. So I'm going to skip over all our normal... Hey, what, are you, right. what are you... What is your awareness of Bill Murray? Um, and we're going to go straight to what did you think of Ghostbusters 2? Did you enjoy it? I did. Um, I I didn't quite enjoy it as much as the first one, but I can say I laughed all the way through it. Yeah. Um, I, it was funny. The the dialogue, a lot of the one-liners were funny, Um, but it was the kind of funny that hit me in the moment. And now that I'm thinking back on the movie, I can't tell you what was funny about it. I mean, there are a few things that I can specifically recall, like um, Janine and and Lewis and, and things like that. But some of the specific one-liners that just made me crack up while I was watching it, they didn't stick with me. Mm. But during the moment, it was fantastic. And so I feel like this is just a movie to enjoy in the moment. And it's not necessarily a lasting cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. But it was good. I enjoyed it. Mm. I, I I think that probably comes from this is a fairly gentle film. Uh, certainly the humor is. It's not as snarky, one-upping as the first one was, which which might be the stuff they cut out to make it. Um, easier. Yeah, I read that they tried to cut out a lot of that stuff because it had become so popular with children mm. and they wanted it to be more family friendly. Yeah, did did that change of tone stand out to you at all? Did you th- notice it as you were watching? I guess I didn't notice those specifics. I did notice that the ghosts, there were less like people ghosts and they were like monster demon ghosts, mm. which was very different from the first one apart from Slimer most of the ghosts that we saw in the first one were people-ish I noticed that 
the Ghostbusters got scared more easily, and I think that was for the comedy effect. Mm. Uh, but it it was weird to me that that these men who were making a living out of banishing ghosts were suddenly scared all the time, and they were jumping in fear because I didn't remember that being a thing in the first one. Okay, I guess this one just felt smaller than the first one because the first one, you know, it ended up being something that affected the entire city, you know, and and people were actually in danger. And on this one, the evil was basically contained to a single building and the only one in danger was the baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, there would have been more danger had Vigo succeeded, but it wasn't, I don't know, it was just different. It was contained in a way the first one wasn't. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. When you say, uh, talking about them getting more scared, it's the bit with the train that comes to mind. Yeah. Because there's, there's a whole sequence there where there's like heads on poles, which is really quite scary, especially if you think this is supposed to be kind of more for kids. Right. And then, and then a train comes at them. And the train actually isn't dangerous at all. Mm-hmm. So there's almost no reason to be scared of it. It doesn't do anything to him. Right. Hmm. Yeah, there there was a lot. I mean, it wasn't just the train, but in in that whole sequence where they were down in that tunnel, they were constantly jumping at things mm. like like the heads, which the heads makes a little more sense. But I mean, they know the heads aren't real. Um, I think falling in the slime, they were kind of freaked out about that. Um, I don't know. I can't I can't remember other specifics. I just remember this feeling of, wow, they are like super scared all the time. But the performances, I think, do sell a lot of the film very, very well. I think there isn't anyone who is not good in this. Whereas sometimes oh, you might watch, you, you watch a sequel and you think, oh, they're, you know, just here for the paycheck or they've not gotten much. Ernie Hudson doesn't get much to do, but he didn't really in the first one either. Mm-hmm. Um, but But they are all as good as they were before. It's just a problem because Bill Murray, certainly in this character, is still a giant douche. Oh, yes. I had honestly, I had hoped he had changed um, because he did experience some small amount of character growth in the first one. Hmm. Um, but considering that in this one, enough time has passed that he and Dana have broken up. She's gotten married and had a child and then gotten hmm. divorced. You know, he has clearly had time to revert back to his old self. And oh my gosh, yeah. he did. And, and there's a hint that it's actually he's in a worse situation. The bit where she comes to him. Having run away from her apartment, he is face down on the sofa in his coat. He has come home and, and that's where he's ended up. So whether there's now a drinking thing, a depression thing, th- there is scope for a little bit more. But it's not really yeah. looked at at all because the woman's in his life, the apartment gets tidied up and suddenly now everything's good. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, but he, that is a character that Bill Murray was born to play. Yeah, I think, and so he he gave it a hundred and ten percent all the way through, and I didn't find myself frustrated with watching any of the characters from the performances at all. Mm. And there's lots of uh, small changes, I think, more than more than big uh, changes to to make it more child friendly. They don't really smoke, and they all smoked in that first one. There's a bit with uh, Dan Aykroyd with a cigar, but that's about it. Um, Egon and Janine, their styles have both changed. They now look a lot more like they do in the cartoon. I noticed that her look had changed, but I didn't know that it 
was in correlation mm. to the cartoon. And his in the cartoon, he has this big bouffant blonde hair. <laughs> Not bouffant. It's a big curly thing on top. It's very strange. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's, I, I think there's a whole thing of the animation company didn't have the rights to their likenesses. So it's the same characters, just drawn differently. Okay. Um, and I think there might even be uh, an issue with the comics or one of the episodes where they explain the change in his hair from from dark to, to this very light blonde. But the style in this, this sort of very high on his head, is quite similar. Interesting. Because I, w- I was looking at mm. it and thinking that style makes sense for this kind of mad scientist guy. <laughs> so it worked for me <laughs> and it didn't occur to me to question it. Hmm. Um, I did notice, though, that that he seemed to have a larger role in this movie than he did in the first one. Yeah, they gave him a bit more humor as well mm-hmm. in that. They they didn't just use him for exposition, science talk, delivering all the serious stuff. Right. Mm. They now have Peter McNichol to do that. <laughs> the creepy guy. Yes. The creepy, irritating guy. Yes. Who I feel like we've seen in something... Because I have somewhere else talked to you about him being in Aliment Bill and being in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He is the Asgardian who grew old on Earth. Yes. And he was also in last week's episode of Big Bang Theory as a reclusive, uh, paranoid physicist. Okay. But I'm looking at his list of films and he's not been anything that we've watched. But we've talked about him somewhere. We have. We've talked about him being in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Specifically. But I don't remember why. <laughs> I'm looking at this filmography and there's nothing on here. I mean, he's in Adam's Family 2. Adam's Family Values, but we've not done that. Huh. Isn't that strange? That is strange. Hey, folks, if you remember the episode where we talked about Peter McNichol, <laughs> maybe maybe it was Ghostbusters. Maybe it made a tangential reference to him for some reason. Oh, he's also on Grey's Anatomy. That's probably where I really knew him from. Yeah, I don't know why we talked about him, but okay. Everyone's in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> there is not You're a right. person who's not been in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Star Trek of its day. <laughs> it really kind of is. And it's been renewed for season 15. It has. And there's a new spinoff. <laughs> yes, there is. All right. Back to Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> Um, oh, creepy Peter McNichol. So here's here's something funny about that character. I was watching mm-hmm. this with Joseph, and you know he looked at me and he said, "Where is he supposed to be from? Like, what is that accent?" And I said, "I don't know. He's just like generic, like foreign. <laughs> I don't know. European." And then, like commas. five minutes later, somebody—I think it was Vinkman or it was one of the Ghostbusters—asked him, "Where are you from?" Mm-hmm. And his answer was, "The Upper West Side." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the movie acknowledged it without answering it, and I actually thought that was really funny. I, I think there's supposed to be a thing that he is technically from wherever Vigo is from. Whatever is now used to be Carpathia. Huh. So some sort of Eastern European ex-Soviet bloc type area, I think. I certainly did not pick up on that. No. But it it is the the standard comic thing of, no, he is actually American. You can stop being racist at him. What, What was the thing in the pilot of Parks and Rec? We're both outsiders. I'm a woman. He's a, oh, I think he's a Libyan. 
I'm from Bennettsville, South Carolina. I'm what you might call a redneck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Egon got to do a bit more in this, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Aykroyd got to do basically the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray did exactly the same thing. Did again. exactly the same thing. Um, Sigourney Weaver did exactly the same thing again, which is not a problem. Um, Annie Potts and Rick Moranis got a bit more. Oh, they did. It was wonderful. Mm. And that's that's a, a pairing that works as well. There is some mm-hmm. chemistry there. Yeah, I was honestly surprised that they went there with those two characters. But mm. it, once I saw it, it just made so much sense. And I really liked it. But I, I liked that we just got to see Rick Moranis on the screen more anyway. And, and this time, yeah. like he had a reason to be there. It wasn't just because he was the weird neighbor down the, the hall who mm. was crushing on Sigourney Weaver. You know, he was their attorney now. And he was actually friends with them. And he had a reason to be there other than as a plot device. Yeah. And I really, really liked it. And he got the end where he thought that he was the one who got all the slime off the building. Mm. Just gave me warm fuzzies. It was so cute. It's a very, very nice moment. And and it doesn't need anything more throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it, reading up for, for this recording, there's apparently a whole lot of cut stuff about him trying to stop Slimer in the fire station. So again, Slimer's an addition because of the cartoon, because Slimer lives with them by this point. Um, right. But he, him trying to trap Slimer and it never quite coming off, and him annoying um, Janine. Oh, so that makes so much more sense because I was wondering why, when he got to the bus and Slimer was driving, Lewis said, "Oh, it's you." Mm. So that makes so much more sense. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think it's needed. I, I think yeah. it's nice that it is him going, no, I'm now going to help. Mm-hmm. And then he turns up and does this thing. It's like, oh, I saved today. Hooray. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice. It was pretty great. And Janine as babysitter and Janine in the commercial. Hysterical. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Who are you going to call? Yes. <laughs> I, I made a note of that are you going to call? I'm like, that's not quite right, but it that, was perfect. <laughs> that's an expression that you just can't use anymore. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, anytime you say who you're going to call, you have to say it in that sort of inflection. Yeah. So she has to actually work to say it differently a bit. Like mm-hmm. had to keep practicing it. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it with a straight face. Mm. Who are you going to call? God, that phrase is never going to be usable again, is it? Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they then get them together in his apartment. And, and as much as I'm talking about they've changed the tone and, and changed stuff to make it a bit more kid-friendly, he does get up with his trousers undone and she has to start straightening herself. There's a decidedly adult moment with those two in the middle there. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> it worked. Honestly, I think it's because it was those two mm. that it worked. If it had been Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver, it would have been much more noticeably adult. Yeah. Not yeah, no, not a primary character like Dan Aykroyd dreaming about a ghost going down on him. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot that happened. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that back into my head. 
but yeah, it, it, it does go pretty, like you wouldn't pick up on it um, that quickly, I think, certainly. Certainly, hopefully, a younger kid. I know I didn't. I did actually want to um, mention one other thing that I noticed. You remember how we watched uh, Bill and Ted a couple of weeks ago? And mm-hmm. I had not gotten the hysteria joke when I'd watched it as a younger person. Yes. Well, there's a line like that in this that I did not get until this watching. Um, where they go to, they're analyzing the baby. And Econ has a line, something like, I'd like to run some gynecological tests on the mother. <laughs> and Bill Murray goes, who wouldn't? Yes. I, I actually not- had to stop for a second. I looked at Joseph and, and he looked at me and I was like, did he just say that? And he was like, yeah. I was like, okay. I did not expect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually quite rude. But clearly I hadn't got it. So fine. Yeah. I, I think that's one of those things that you just kind of slip in there for the adults. Yeah. Get it past the censors. Yes. But the film the film does do the oh, really rubbish thing of something for the dads. Because, of course, she has to take her top off at some point. Of course. There's absolutely no need for it. Except it's a film made by men. In the 80s. Yeah. Oh, no. They do that stuff even worse now. Yeah, they do. Okay. But I'm just picking, I'm picking bits apart in it. Uh, something I forgot until I watched this. There's a bit where she talks about her ex-husband and he went to join the London Orchestra or went to live in London or something. Like I remember watching and being like, oh, hey, cool, that's where I'm from. Kind of. Um, that's the country I'm from. And then a bit later, she has a line of, he went to live in Europe. And I, I can remember being a bit confused by that. I haven't said to my dad, like, wait, she said London and then she said Europe. So where did he go? Did he go to both? Uh, and and that was the thing when my dad was like, no, no, we are in Europe. And I, I, I sort of, I can remember like knowing that Europe existed, but not understanding that our island was part of that continent. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that mm. makes perfect sense. And then just watch it back. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was that really strange thing. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a really nice, like, personally relatable Sorry. I like it. I'm sure everyone has something similar. Like, I, I'm not that dumb. I was only 15 or 16 when this came out, so. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm I trying wasn't. To I was much younger. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I, if I had a period like that. And I know, I know I did, because I think there was a long time where, um, I didn't understand because American, like if you live in the United States, you're American, but then you've got North America and South America. So why aren't they American too? Like Mm. that was this whole confusing thing for me. So you are not alone in geographical confusion Mm. as a child. I just don't have a really cool movie like Ghostbusters 2 to help me understand (laughs) it. it Yeah, I probably should have known it by that point, but you know. Hey, we learn from everything. We are never not learning. Yeah. All right. So favorite mm. moments and lines. There's some good ones in this. Go on. Do you want to go what first? Were, what were your favorites? Honestly, I think my very, very favorite was an Egon line this time, which is surprising because Egon was my least favorite character in the first one. Mm. Um, but when they are shouting at the slime because they're trying to charge it up and they've realized that um, negative energy seems to work more. He shouts at it. You're nothing but an unstable short chain molecule. Nice. And I was like, <laughs> that is such an Egon line. And it was 
funny. Mm. It was proper funny to me because he had a couple other in the same vein, but that was the one that, that, that stuck out. Yeah, they, they wrote him very intelligent, but they made it accessible. They did. Mm. It was fantastic. Great. And shockingly enough, all of my other favorite moments are Bill Murray's. They're big okay. moments. When he comes back to his apartment after he's let Dana and Oscar stay there and he's just like wandering around like in di- clear distress and he's saying, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, she cleaned. <laughs> I was like, that is such a man thing to say in these movies. <laughs> that must be a trope. There must be some sort of name for that because there's so many films where that happens in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that jumps to mind is Orphan Black when Alison goes to stay with the Sestra brother. Oh, okay. Whose name I can't remember because it's been ages. Uh, Tony? Tony? Was it Tony? You know, the, Tony. The, the Sarah's brother. Oh, um, Felix. Felix. What the hell? Simple thank you would suffice. So, Kira's going to be okay? Yes, miraculous recovery. Okay. Uh, where's my, uh... Oh, bed? your drug paraphernalia is in a drawer. So is the paraphernalia that was by your bed. Did you wash that too? Felix, that's who it was, Felix. And she, cl- yeah, you're right, she did. It's a thing. It's actually, it's a stereotype that women like to clean and men don't. So. What? It's a thing. But women love to clean, surely. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, no. But it was funny. His reaction was funny and the way he delivered the line was funny. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because they don't set up the shot of the apartment first, which is the normal thing. Right. He's just Mm. walking in going, oh, no, oh, no. And so you're thinking... What's wrong? Like, mm. what's happened? Is is there, like, a dead body in his apartment? Is, like, Oscar gone and he's supposed to be there? And then you get the payoff of she cleaned. And it's just funny. <laughs> I think it's funny. Yeah. When the Ghostbusters are on trial and Lewis is their attorney, but Vinkman is in the witness stand feeding lines to Lewis. So so, so you were just trying to help out a, help out a friend. Who was frightened. Who was scared of what was happening to her. No, and when you're can. scared, what? There was no evil intent. There was no evil intent and no malice no, uh, because you live here. When you live in a place and you love it like yeah, you do, you don't want nothing bad to happen. What? Because it'll never happen again. It's an isolated incident. It's a one-shot deal. Objection, Your Honor. What? He's leading the witness. Sustain. Give me a break. We're both lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then the, the, the prosecutor, you know, objects and says, uh, leading the witness <laughs> and all I could think was, I think that's leading the lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it was just brilliant. It was brilliant. And then. And, and while we're on the court case, of course, that's our Buffy link because the judge is the chap in charge of the Watchers Council. That's who he was. <laughs> I was like, okay, he's very, very familiar. He kind of looks like Red Foreman, but it's not Red Foreman. Who is he? And then when they, I saw the actor's name in the ending credits, I still couldn't place him. And it's because he has so much more hair. <laughs> Absolutely. That is Quentin Travers. Mm. Yeah. And, and the last one is another Vinkman line. He's still on the stand and he's trying to explain why they've been doing what they're doing and, you know, why they've made a mess of things. And he says, sometimes shit happens. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you going to call? Hmm. And it's just this amazing mix of absolute seriousness 
with funny tagline catchphrase for Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> because he delivered it like completely straight. Mm. And again, it, that's one of the ones that just made me start giggling. It, I giggled a lot watching this movie. It's one of those lines that you think, yeah, that was in the trailer. I bet. It's so succinct. <laughs> Had to be, yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. I've narrowed mine down to just those four. Okay. So what about you? <laughs> we touched on it a little bit, but every time Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver get to do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is very funny. He He's a lot more um, hamming it up in this one, I think. Yeah. For a, a character that he had hammed up quite a lot in the first one, but this one goes even further. But he is still very good at what he does. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's because this time he was part of the group. Mm. In the first one, he was outside looking in, desperately wanting to be one of these people, wanting to be their friend. Yeah. And so in this one, he was comfortable being himself with this group of people. And I think that's what made him a better character. Mm this time and i i enjoyed watching him every time he was on the screen in this one and in the first one he irritated me a lot the the great bit where he's got the baby and is giving the story of snow white and the seven doors but from a tax accountant's perspective <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really good um but also yeah sigourney weaver you know everyone shut up a 10 is talking because she's <laughs> wonderful at everything she does in this she's still got that very She's in control. Every time something's going on, she can put down Bill Murray really easily. But Mm -hmm. you can sense the dynamic has changed slightly. She allows him in a bit more, but is still not necessarily guarded, but always uh, prepared to, you know, repost his advances. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I really like what they did with her character, that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that... She and Vinkman lived happily ever after, after the Mm. first one. You know, we saw Vinkman is kind of a crappy man. And she acknowledged that. And even though it was off screen, we get the story. She acknowledged that she was worth more than that. She didn't want to have that kind of relationship. And so she ended it. And so we got to see that. And I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, they returned to that twice, a couple of times, like when they're out on their date. They talk about it a bit as well when they already talked about it at the beginning. But I do love the first time where she says, you know, you never asked me to marry you. And then you started referring to me as the old ball and chain. Mm-hmm. Well, at that point, I'm protecting myself, which is exactly what yeah. she does. And it's great. It absolutely works for me. Of course, they do kind of end up back together at the end with yep. no really, it's not earned. It just kind of happens because you expect it to. That's a whole other thing. He's been good to her child, so he must be the best person for her to be with. Again, that's quite a common trope. It is, but he he was surprisingly good with babies. Mm. I did not see that coming. That was a character trait of Inkman that I really enjoyed, because you don't expect this kind of cad to love babies. Yeah. (laughs) And he did. So... Okay, I've hijacked your favorite <laughs> moments, so please keep going. Um, I want to uh, give a reference to the practical effects because the, there's a few sort of overlays and mats going on in this that work uh, to greater or lesser extent. But then there's a lot here about uh, things moving, things appearing, um, the toaster jumping around. It's actually a very mm-hmm. good effect. The growth of the slime several times, it's in, you know, it's only half filling its container and then you see it growing. It's like, oh, that's actually quite well done. You can't 
obviously see the uh, the wires, as it were. Mm-hmm. I, I I think the first one I really like. It does a lot of very good stuff with its mats and overlays. This one does the practical stuff really, really well. Yeah, most of the effects I like they didn't stand out to me because they weren't badly done. Usually, I notice mm. effects more when they're badly done because otherwise they just look like the thing that they are supposed to be. Mm. And so I think really the only effect that I noticed that wasn't great, and I think it's just because it's a product of 1989, was with the Statue of Liberty. Okay. Like showing her foot walking down the street. Mm. Um, That one was very, very clearly, they used like an image superimposed behind people. Um, and, And so that one was really the only one where it made me think, oh, yeah, they didn't quite have the technology to get that right yet. Yeah. Yeah, again, the, the the overlay, the two different shots coming together, not as good as it could be. I, I always think the effect of her actually moving is, is nicely done. It was, I, I would assume it's some sort of model, maybe. Again, for mm-hmm. the time, it's most likely, but uh, I quite like that. And it's a nice surprise because you just, it, it, it comes from nowhere. There's no setup of we're going to use that. Which right. is an argument for and against Chekhov's gun, but it's um, you know when when you finally go, you go like oh yeah this is in New York so that is a thing you can do oh yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> um, if staying on the national on the Statue of Liberty though uh, I do love Bill Murray inside the monument so they they're spraying it with all the ooze and they're talking about how it's going to be positively charged so he starts doing some comedy and being very positive at it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> His line is testing one two testing. Hey, how many of you people here tonight are a national monument? Would you raise your hand, please? Hey. Oh, hello, miss. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's right, so right. good. It's just I would appreciate more of that from him, but I don't know whether that sort of stuff got cut out to leave the core character bits. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause it was a nice moment, though. I think by by not having more of them, though, we appreciate that one so much more. Yeah, true. And it's it's almost a background thing. With uh, Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson in the foreground getting ready to spray the slime everywhere. Yeah. Hmm. And finally, where they're talking about it being a giant jello mold, there is the line, which is one of the classic lines, I think, in cinema. I don't know why, I just have heard it oft repeated. Oh, come on, there's always room for jello. <gasps> oh, this is probably a cultural thing. So that is a super, super like American cultural phrase. It's from the early early jello commercials okay and it's just it's always like i don't know why that one stuck but at least as far back as the 60s it's been there's always room for jello and it's been since then it's it's been referenced in movies and tv shows in real life and i i think it's interesting that it's something that you have seen referenced in like cinema but not necessarily understanding that it comes from an actual Jello commercial mm. here. That's that's interesting. Well, well, okay. So I've always taken it that other people are referencing this film, but this film is itself a reference because the the mm-hmm. next thing I was going to mention is I didn't know that Jello was called Jello over there. <laughs> it's a brand name. Ah, okay. Do you ever use Jello? The, is the, yeah. Do you ever use the word jelly? Jelly is its own food that's very different. Jelly is. Um, what you spread on toast. Oh, what we'd call jam. Like a fruit spread. Well, mm. see, we have jam and we have jelly, but jam has seeds in it from the fruit and jelly does not. Okay. Very specific. 
we have like jam and seedless jam. <laughs> no, we have jam okay. and we have jelly and okay. then we have jello. <laughs> Which is a type of different product. Sort of sugary. It is. It's completely different. With gelatin thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, jello is oh god, I don't even know when jello first came. It was in the 30 nope, 1897. Okay. Happy 121st birthday. Yeah, wow. I didn't know it, it was that old. He named it Jello in 1897. Hmm? Um, wow. Yeah, so there's always room for Jello is like probably one of the single greatest uh, marketing campaigns that has ever existed in the United States. How interesting. Okay. Well, there we go. We're talking about commercials most weeks at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> Yes. Red Arby's a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. We have the meats. It's a thing. <laughs> Are commercials as, I don't know, culturally referenced over there like they are here? Uh, everyone's looking for the next big commercial that would last for 20 years. And some of them stick, some of them don't. But we have, uh, there's no easy way to explain it, but we have fewer commercials than you do. Okay. So we don't have the... Opening sequence, opening credits, commercial, back into the show, commercial, commercial, commercial. Oh, okay. Commercial, end credits, commercial, <laughs> opening bit of the next show, commercial. <laughs> yeah. We we have like every 15 minutes, pretty much. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Well, but there are, in fact, we were saying this yesterday because there, there ha is one that's been going for a very long time now that when you look at it, you're like, wow, that really has been around. So they do, sometimes they do stick. Sometimes there are long running ones or characters or phrases that stick, but mm -hmm. uh, much in the same way, everyone's looking for it. Everyone's uh, hiring the same agencies. Right. Hmm. Okay. The more you know. <laughs> we did ask our Twitter followers if they had any comments or feelings about Ghostbusters 2. And we had a few folks comment very positively about Ghostbusters 2. In fact, uh, we had... Uh, at Chipper Allen, he said, My daughters rank the Ghostbusters movies thusly. Number one is the new Ghostbusters. Number two, Ghostbusters 2. And number three, Ghostbusters. They love the river of slime and the dancing toaster. Weirdly, they also love when the kids yell He-Man at the birthday party, even though they don't know who He-Man is. Hmm. <laughs> and I halfway agree with that rank i think new ghostbusters definitely comes first but i think i'm gonna put ghostbusters above ghostbusters too i gotta i quite like the he-man reference in this because i was really into he-man as a much younger boy and then ghostbusters was kind of the next thing i went into okay that makes sense so it's sort of weird to see them together i think it's just because the animation companies okay so yeah. reference your own uh, your own products of course. I quite liked that the Ghostbusters were <laughs> had to resort to doing birthday parties. Mm. And they had fallen so far down the chain that they weren't even, like, excitable anymore. Like, the kids weren't excited that they were there. I, I thought that was funny. Uh, and we also had a comment from Brandon at Shoe Size 38. And he says, it was the most quotable movie during his diaper changing years. Why am I all covered in goo? With the accent, of course. The accent that I can't do, so I didn't do it there. But I think that's funny. Thanks for that I image. Like it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny. I like that's it. it. That's all I'm going to picture anytime we're listening to him now. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, we have laughed a lot and we have talked a lot. Is there anything else that we need to discuss about Ghostbusters 2? Uh, we, we set up a conversation earlier about sequels um, and our hopes and dreams and expectations for sequels. For me, this is one that doesn't really iterate. It doesn't introduce anything particularly new or different. This is another adventure with these people. Uh, a bit like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I felt very much like that coming out of it. I was like, oh, okay, that was kind of the same film as the first one, just with a different plot. Um, right. It sounded like you thought this was very different. Uh, how does this work for you as a sequel? Well, I think it could only have worked as a sequel um, because the first one set up who they were and mm, yeah. why they wanted to do this. And this was just them doing what they do. Um, and you can't have that second adventure of them doing what they do without the first one if that makes sense but it just it felt different in scope to me because the first one was like a demon from another dimension was coming in to destroy the world starting with a whole city and this one was just some random ghost dude wanting to come back to life and his focus on a single baby okay <laughs> so it just it just it felt different in scope that's all okay um i could see that but it did have to come second like this one couldn't have gone converse no no yeah no, i i think i mean more did you mind that it was just another adventure it didn't introduce any new elements or anything or or do you like do you like doing that like returning to a world you know and having more fun in it oh yeah i love returning to a world that i know and having more fun in it okay and hence why you watch Grace. And hence why I still watch this. Why I still watch Supernatural. Oh, Supernatural Lord. should have ended years ago. Yeah. But I still watch it. <laughs> okay. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. And you can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. As we said up top, we are 100% funded by listeners through Patreon. Uh, anything you give gives access to exclusive content and outtakes and extra stuff. So go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing to check it out. And go to the homepage eloquentgushing.com. We have a weekly newsletter with updates about all our goings on and uh, access to all the other shows that we do on the network. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived. Until next time, I'm Andy Kay. And death is but a door, time is but a window. I'll be back. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.